Our study is Romans 5, 1 to 5. Romans 5, 1 to 5. Exulting in our tribulations. Verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that the tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we're grateful for your holy and precious word. Father, thank you for justifying us by faith in Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, for the hope that is before us, set before us. We know, Lord, that it is by your grace that we are here. It's by your grace that we know anything, anything that's true and valuable for our souls and eternal life. Thank you for introducing these things to us and granting us a standing before you because of your goodness and your grace toward us. Now, Father, as we understand in this passage, we ask that you teach us what it means also to stand in Christ through tribulations and how these tribulations are for our good, for our benefit, and to please and glorify you. Teach us this truth today. And we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, in chapter 5, the apostle is turning his attention to some of the results of our being justified by grace through faith. He has explained the fact that we are justified in chapters 3 and 4, especially in chapter 4, a lengthy discussion of it. Then he turns his attention to the results of our justification. What results, outcomes, benefits do we have? And in the first five verses, he teaches us that we exult in hope in verse 2. And then in verse 3, we also exult in our tribulations. Once we are justified, we have hope and we are joyful in this hope of what is to come. And then in verse 3, we also anticipate tribulations, but we must be joyful in tribulations also. The two go together. The two are inseparable in the Christian life. This is his argument in verses 1 to 5. Verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He teaches in the past tense that we have been justified by faith. If what he has already said is true of us, we have been justified, which means justification is not future tense. Justification does not happen on the day of judgment. Justification happens now. There is a teaching that says we cannot be assured of our justification now. We cannot know that we are justified now. That teaching says that in the future or on the day of judgment, that is when our justification will be declared or assured, announced to us. But that's not the case at all. We are justified now if we have faith in Christ. 
Justification, declared righteous and acceptable in the sight of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is something now. And in the case of the believer, it has happened in the past before we begin to experience the hope and the tribulations of the Christian life. Further in verse one, he says, because this justification has occurred, we have peace with God. Because justification has occurred, we have peace with God. If we did not have the justification, then we do not have peace with God. Justification is necessary because we were enemies of God. We were opposed to Him. In fact, he reminds us of this truth further along in this passage, chapter 5. Notice what he says about us starting at verse 6. He says, we were still helpless. He calls us helpless. And then in verse 8, he calls us sinners while we were yet sinners. Verse 9, shall be saved from the wrath of God. We were objects of his wrath. And then verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Reconciled. This is because we were at odds with him. We were opposed to God. We did not love him. We didn't desire him. We might have thought so. We might have pretended so, but we didn't really if we were not truly justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this peace is with God. That is our first and foremost adversary. We were his enemies. He was our enemy. He is our highest and supreme adversary. He is the one with whom we need peace in order for us to have eternal life, in order for us to have uh, reconciliation, for us to have this hope that we have in the Christian life. We have to first have peace with God. After we have peace with God, then we proceed from that to have peace with one another. First it starts with God, and then it proceeds with one another. When we have peace with God, we are loving him in the proper way, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. and this also is a manifestation of the peace that we pursue with each other. In Romans 12, the apostle mentions this second part, that is, assuming there is peace with God, then we seek for peace with one another. Romans 12, 12, 16, 12, 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
If possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Peace with God first, and then it proceeds with peace among um, ourselves, with one another. Romans 5.1, how is this peace, how is this reconciliation, how is all of this possible? Verse 1, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him. The Bible emphasizes this over and over again. It is explicit that there is only one way of salvation, that peace, reconciliation, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, right standing before God, justification, sanctification, anything that's good in the Christian life or in the spiritual life is only found in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing that the Bible says it so often, yet people who read the Bible deny it and reject it. Many times people say Jesus is one way of salvation. He might be the best way of salvation, but he's only one way of salvation. Jesus Christ is perhaps the one way for some people, for some people, for Europeans, he's the only way, but not for the rest of the world. For Americans, he's the way, but he's not the way for Asians and Africans. That's the way people think. However, it's not true. It's only based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins if we believe in him, and rose from the dead to assure us that he has conquered death and has life to give to us. It's in Jesus Christ and him alone. Verse two, after we have this peace with God, because we have been justified, he then tells us in verse two, verses two to five, what we now have, what we now are enjoying and what we should anticipate. He says, verse two, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through whom? Through Christ. Christ not only gives us these good benefits, these outcomes, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Christ, he not only gave us peace with God, but he introduced us by faith in him to the grace that causes us to stand in which we stand. We stand, we have uh, representation, we have legitimacy in the sight of God Almighty, God the judge of the whole earth, because of grace that was given to us. Grace that was not earned, grace that was not used to cooperate our abilities with God's abilities in grace. It doesn't work that way. It's 100% God's grace that transforms the dead and hardened sinner and causes him to believe in Jesus Christ. Verse two is what we have. 
We have an introduction. We've been introduced to the grace of God by faith in Christ. If we have been introduced to it, then there must be more to it. There must be the body like a book. There's an introduction to the book, there's the body of the book, and there's the conclusion of a book. If we've been introduced to it, then what is it that we now experience in the middle of the book? In the middle of the book, we experience in the Christian life, sanctification, growth, Christian growth, holiness, discipleship, however we want to dub this middle part of our Christian life, which is now, right now. The very fact that we are learning the scriptures, we are growing in our faith, shows that we are in the middle part. We've been introduced already at some point in the past to the grace of God. Now we continue to stand in this grace, and this grace is what carries us along. This grace is what we need to guide us, to direct us, to empower us in the Christian life until the conclusion. And what's the conclusion? When we see Christ face to face. That's when we will fully experience the grace of God. We experience part, part of it now by being justified by faith in Christ. We experience part of it now in terms of our Christian life, our standing um, and walk, our diligence now as we grow in the faith. And then finally, that grace will be fully realized in the future. Just a brief word about this grace that continues in our life. Look, for example, Romans 6. Romans 6, we'll begin at verse 12. Romans 6, 12 to 16. Romans 6, 12 to 16. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? In verses 12 to 16, the apostle is teaching us that we should not let sin reign in our mortal body. Sin should not reign. This is obviously addressed to those who already have come to faith in Christ, who already believe in Christ. Once we believe in Christ, truly believe, it is our desire, should be our desire to reject any remaining sins, which are evident in all of us, sins in all of us. We must stop letting sin reign in us. That's his argument in verses 12 to 16. He used the word grace here in verses 14 and 15. The word grace. 
He says, Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. We're not under the mastery of the law to indict us because of our sins. We are not under the curse of the law because of our sins. We are under grace. Under grace means the grace of God has saved us. And also in this passage, the grace of God sanctifies us, makes us more holy. And he says in verse 15, in case there's any confusion, what then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Then he illustrates in verse 16 with the imagery of slavery. Either we are slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. If we are slaves of righteousness, we have the grace of God to help us along to practice righteousness. That's the empowering grace. The grace that saved is also grace that sanctifies us and leads us on the path of righteousness, the highway of holiness, as Isaiah says, Isaiah 35. Romans 5, verse 2. We stand in this grace, and now the dual purposes of the grace. There's two purposes. Verse 2, and we exult in hope, of the glory of God. We exult in hope of the glory of God. To exult with the spelling of a U in the middle, not exalt, which means to magnify or glorify, but to exult with a U spelled with a U in the middle, it means to rejoice, to be joyful. To rejoice or to be joyful. We are joyful in hope of the glory of God. Joyful in hope. We are that way. What does he mean here? What is he talking about that we are joyful in hope? Romans 8. Romans 8. He explains in Romans 8, 18 to 25. We're answering the question, what does it mean to exalt in hope of the glory of God. What is this glory of God that we anticipate, we put our hope in? And then we rejoice when we think of it. Verse 18, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, 
Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Verse 18, Whatever we suffer now cannot is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is future glory that will be revealed to us, and whatever we suffer now is incomparable. It's nothing compared to what is to come. He then says that creation, the whole of creation, is moaning and groaning. Moaning and groaning, and so are we as a part of creation, moaning and growing as though it's a woman in childbirth, moaning and groaning, uh, groaning until the child is born. Then she stops. Verse 23, he says, We ourselves, we also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan ourselves within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerated us. The Holy Spirit also is sanctifying us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us to lead us and guide us, to give us strength and wisdom. The Holy Spirit does that. If we have the first fruits, that is, the spirit within us is akin to the first fruits of the harvest, the first part of the harvest. Well, if the first part of the harvest is what we are now experiencing, well, what about the full harvest? When will the full harvest occur? The full harvest occurs when God redeems our body. Look at verse 23. We waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. When our body is fully redeemed, he means fully, because right now our soul or spirit has been regenerated, but we still have remaining sin in our flesh, and our whole body needs to be redeemed. It's not now. It's for the future. Because it's for the future, we wait eagerly, Verse 24, we hope for it. And then in verse 25, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So the glory of God that God has given to us is in anticipation, in expectation. We eagerly wait for it. We are hoping for it. That's what he has put forth or held out to us by faith, when we believe the gospel, truly believe, we anticipated that one day, instead of the wrath of God or instead of the judgment of God on the day of judgment, we will experience the presence of God, the peace of God in the full sense, no more sin and evil in our life or in the world, and we will be with our Lord forever and ever. That is the hope that is set before us. 
the complete renovation of not only the whole creation, but our own bodies and our souls and our experience with creation, but most importantly, our experience with God. This is what the apostle means in Romans 5, 2. We exult in hope of the glory of God. The second result of our justification after saying we have peace with God, the second way in which we exult is in verses three to five. And not only this, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. We also rejoice in our tribulations. When the tribulations, the problems, the hardships, the afflictions of life come, what is the proper Christian response to it? Rejoice in tribulations. <clears throat> Rejoice in them. Not complain, not grumble, not mumble, not cause disturbances in our own life or in the life of others or in the life of the church, but we should rejoice in tribulations. Why? Why should we rejoice in our tribulations? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. If there aren't tribulations for, in the Christian life, then perseverance will not occur. Endurance, remaining faithful until the end, it will not occur. Because the purpose of God is to make us persevere, but not in a fantasy land Christianity. He wants us to persevere till the end, but the means of perseverance is tribulation, problems, difficulties, afflictions. Then when perseverance takes place, which means until the very end, what also takes place? Verse four, and perseverance brings about what? Proven character, proven character. When he says proven character, he means that one can announce about himself that he has character. But how can self-identification, I have good character, I, have, I am a man of integrity, I am a man of faith, how can that be vindicated? How can that be verified? It cannot be verified until there is some kind of strife or conflict, some kind of hardship where the character is proven. The hardship has to be there for the character to be proven. How does one respond in hardships? Further, when the proven character has been manifested, then what does that do? It produces hope. It brings about hope. Well, how in the world does proven character bring about hope? 
Well, once the character has come to the surface, has been proven, vindicated, then it gives us the assurance that we are walking in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. The more we see ourselves and others see ourselves walking in the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit, it gives us greater hope, gives us greater assurance, greater confidence that we belong to God, we belong to Christ. He's working in us, and we're not the same as we used to be. We're not the same individual that we used to be. And when we put our hope, our confidence in that, in the fruit of the Spirit in our life, verse 5 says, and hope does not disappoint. It does not disappoint. It gives us confidence, not disappointment. A clarification, this word hope, when we use it in common English, the word hope, daily English, we speak of it in terms of doubt. But in the Bible, the word hope is not in terms of doubt or in the context of doubt, but in the context of certainty, confidence, assurance. Assurance of things that we don't see. In common speech, when we say we hope, we say, uh, speaking of the weather, we hope tomorrow is a pleasant day. We don't know for sure, but we just hope. And so that kind of hope is a kind of Lack, uh, hope lacking assurance, lacking confidence. We just say hope in that kind of way, but not in the Bible. The biblical hope is founded on faith, faith that is in something real and tangible that has taken place in the past on which we place our faith. We place faith on that. That is the finished work of Christ. That is the word of God that is accessible and is right before our eyes. Our faith is in that or our hope is in that. Therefore, it's not an uncertain or blind kind of faith and hope. It's based on certainty. And this kind, not only of what we have believed already, but what we continue to see manifested in our Christian life, based on the fruit of the Spirit in our life, it does not disappoint us. Verse 5. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It does not disappoint us because we know the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. We love because he first loved us, 1 John four nineteen. How do we know that God first loved us? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we see the work of the Holy Spirit poured out within us, when we see his work poured out within us, we have assurance of the love of God at work in us, the love of God manifested in us, the love of God that was first given to us that causes us in response to his love first toward us to love him also. We love because he first loved us. 
If God first loved us, then that love will produce fruit in us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and this will give us assurance, confidence, greater faith, greater enthusiasm, eagerness to do the will of God, to obey Him and to love Him. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.